The Seahawks offseason is underway, with some big decisions awaiting the team. Meanwhile, the playoffs are chugging ahead at full speed, reaching a crescendo as the divisional round provided some of the most exciting football in recent memory. Joining us to discuss all of that is former Seahawks beat reporter and current senior NFL writer for The Athletic, Sheil Kapadia. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my incredible producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? I'm wired, Jackson. I've been wired for three straight days. I haven't slept since Sunday. (laughs) Oh my God. What a weekend, my friend. That was incredible. I mean, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we got together, and a lot has happened during that time. The Seahawks moved on from defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr., but they appear to be keeping the big three of Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and Russell Wilson in place as they approach draft and free agency. But yeah, you said it, man. The playoffs went absolutely bananas last weekend. That was like, I I know I'm not the only one saying it, but I, I think that was the most entertaining weekend of football I've probably ever seen. Each individual game was its own personal emotional roller coaster, and mm-hmm. combining all of them back to back to back to back was sensory it's overload. Like, in let, the most let me breathe, man. Let me catch my breath. Imagined. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Well, there is a lot to get into, and I can't wait to do it. And a huge reason for my excitement is that we are joined by one of the sharpest minds covering the sport right now. Many of you may remember him from his time on the Seahawks beat. And he's now covering the league as a whole as senior NFL writer for The Athletic. He is the tremendous Shiel Kapadia. Shiel, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. We're super excited to have you. I, uh, I'll never forget when you joined the Seahawks beat, you immediately threw yourself into the bowels of Seahawks Twitter. I thought that was awesome. And it instantly endeared you to the swath of psychopaths that cheer for Seattle. But now you cover the sport from a different angle. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you're at? Well, uh, I, I guess uh, I, I usually go long when people ask me this question. So if I'm going long, go long just be baby. like, dude, shut up and let's get to the uh, let, let's start talking about the uh, playoff. But I mean, basically, I was a sports obsessed kid, you know, probably like, like many others. And so you're in high school and it's like, well, what are you going to do with your life? I wasn't sure. The rest of my family, uh, you know, to give you context, four out of five work in hospitals. I knew I wanted nothing to do with science. I was not doing that. So it was like, <laughs> how can I do something in sports? I mean, I watch sports. I listen to sports talk radio. I read about sports. It would be nice to just go ahead and get paid for that. And so, uh, you know, communications, journalism seemed like the way to do that. So went to Penn State, uh, studied sports journalism, wrote for the school paper, did the school radio station, did uh, a bunch of internships. Graduated from there, had some trouble uh, finding a job. And so I actually took a job. It was some company in Philadelphia, basically had nothing to do with journalism. And I was there for three days. And then I got a call back from one of the places I had applied to, which was called uh, penlive.com, which was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's part of that family like OregonLive.com, MLive.com, if you've seen the kind of websites and newspapers. And so the job was basically to be a sports producer for the website. So blogging a little bit, updating the website. They cover Penn State football, that kind of thing. So did that for seven months, then got a job at the Baltimore Sun, basically the same job there. I'm blogging about uh, fantasy sports a little bit, doing a fantasy sports podcast, but a lot of stuff with the uh, with the website there. It's still an office job. Uh, from there, went to Philadelphia, back home where I'm from, uh, for, with philly.com, which is the website for the Inquirer and the Daily News. And uh, that's when I kind of looked at it, and it was like the internet was in this weird stage where it was just like, wow, you know, there's a lot of people reading all this different sports content. And and you get like all the traffic reports and it's like, this is a big newspaper, but like the top stories every day are sports pretty much. So I was like, well, why don't totally. I like, you know, bolster our sports coverage a little bit. I'll blog about the NFL. It'll bolster our Eagles coverage. You know, I can do some uh, blog about the Eagles, blog about the NFL. And they're like, all right, you know, go ahead and do that if it's not too much with the rest of your job. So um, that's when I really kind of found my footing a little bit because I was trying to do stuff that the newspaper beat writers and columnists were not doing. So it was a lot of like, I would rewatch the games on Mondays, have a spreadsheet. I mean, this was before, I don't know if you guys remember, like 
now you can just look up snap counts, right? All right, you know, how many snaps right, did Carlos right. Dunlap play? On Sunday, you go online, you look up. At that time, literally, you couldn't even get that basic information. So, like, I'm logging every snap. Who's on the field? What personnel are they in? And blogging about that. And people were like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, we, we, we can't get this anywhere else. So, um, anyway, I, I was there for about four and a half years. And I really was like, my, my blog had picked up a lot of steam. And so, I was like, I want to write full time. I don't want to be in the office 10 hours working on the website and then going home and blogging afterwards. And so I was telling, I was very clear about it. You know, I had one interview with them. They had like an opening for a columnist with the Inquirer uh, at the time, like an NFL columnist. And I was like, okay, maybe this is my uh, big shot. And I go in like for the meeting, but you know, I, it's kind of like the stereotypical sort of newspaper people you would think of, you know, they're not giving me the time of day. Basically I knew I was not getting that job and I was not going to be writing full time for them. And so I decided if I want to do this, I have to go somewhere else. And so uh, a friend of mine, Tim McManus was working for a radio station uh, in Philadelphia. And so he was kind of in the same boat. And we said, what if we teamed up and created like a website where we just covered the Eagles 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm like, I have a little bit of an audience. You have a little bit of an audience. You're on the radio. We team up, we can do this. And so we basically just you know, went around Philadelphia and pitched this idea to people. Hey, does anyone want to pay us to <laughs> pay us to do this? And there was uh, Philadelphia Magazine, which, you know, if you know city magazines, it's more about like, you know, restaurants and culture. And, uh, you know, it's not really sports focused, but they said, hey, we, we want to get kind of that male demographic, whatever it is, you know, 18 to 45, um, more, more traffic on our site, build our online presence. So they're like, we'll give you a year. We'll pay you this salary. You don't get benefits. And if it works, you know, we'll revisit it after a year. We're like, all right, let's go. We're sold. And so uh, we did that and it kind of just took off. You know, we both covered the, covered the team around the clock. Uh, it, it really worked well. We built a nice online community. It wasn't like a bad comment section. It was a cool comment section where everyone's talking, getting along, knows each other. People wanted to kind of support the site. It kind of had that startup feel. And so it was awesome. We did that. It, it was right when Chip Kelly had gotten to the Eagles too. So there was like a nice buzz around the team, a national buzz, kind of like, you know, what's this guy going to do in the NFL? And so uh, we did that for three years. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, someone at ESPN had kind of noticed the site and thought we did a good job. And so they gave me a call and they had openings in Pittsburgh and Seattle. And uh, my, I have two sisters. They live in Portland, Oregon. And so I talked to my wife and we said, hey, should we go to Seattle and, uh, you know, take this job? It's, it's ESPN. And so went ahead and did that. Was in Seattle, as you mentioned, for two years covering the Seahawks. It was awesome. Had a blast out there. Very entertaining team. Great place to live. Uh, we loved it there. Was there for two years. And then The Athletic called. And uh, the co-founder of The Athletic is from Philadelphia and read our blog when we covered the Eagles and said, hey, we're, no we're launching the Athletic. Uh, you know, I loved your work there. Do you have any interest in coming back east? And we, we just had had our second daughter. So we had two young kids. My parents were back east. My wife's family's from Connecticut. And we said, should we, you know, take a flyer on that, get the kids closer to their grandparents? And uh, we decided to do that. So, again, I always go way too long uh, with this story, but <laughs> cover the Eagles for two years and then uh, got bumped up there to kind of this, the role I'm in now where I'm covering all of the NFL. And that's the end of the podcast. We, we just talked. I just spoke for an hour. <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. No, you know, there's a couple of things in there that were interesting. Funny, you, you talking about logging the snap counts manually. And and listen, you know, when you first came to Seattle, you were kind enough to join me for drinks at a bar downtown. We watched some basketball, got to know each other a little bit. And and talking with Sheil about sports is so entertaining because, you know, the way that he covers it. It's, it's so meticulous. It's still entertaining, but you really do get granular with it, which I appreciate. And it reminds me of like, when I first played fantasy football, there was no live updating, right? Like you'd watch the games and then you wait for the league commissioner to get the newspaper on Tuesday and tally up the box scores and then tell everyone how they did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had, I think I was 
I want to say 10th grade when we first did it, 9th or 10th grade. And uh, my my friend who I'm still buddies with, I mean, he created this real Bobo website for it, you know, putting the standings on there. It looked terrible. Right. But uh, right. yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Somebody just had to do the, uh, you know, we, we sound like a bunch of old men here. But yes, yeah, someone had to <laughs> do no. the scoring, do the scoring by hand. It's not as easy as it is, is now. Yeah. You guys are playing fantasy with Nabacus. My God. <laughs> we were. We totally, we had, we had the Abacus bro broken out man uh okay so i i do want to ask because there's there's a lot of good stuff to get to today but before we do what was your time like covering the seahawks and and how is it different from covering the eagles or or any of the other teams that you write about yeah you know it, it was awesome uh first of all i had a great time and i think the biggest thing was like walking into like the locker room you know the first day of availability or something and like most of the teams i had covered you know there was like one or two maybe big stars on the team. You know, like I covered some teams with uh, Michael Vick, or when I first started writing about the Eagles, they still had, um, you know, Donovan McNabb. And, you know, so it was usually, you know, it's like always the quarterback, and then maybe there's a star defensive player. Maybe there's one other great offensive player. And going in there, you're just like... I like, look at this. I mean, this group is nuts. Like, where do I even begin? Who do I introduce myself to? I mean, it's just a group of pro bowlers, all pro players and not like the, you know, a stereotypical or like quiet mind my own business type of guys, you know, it's like right. sort of in your face. Hey, you know, Hey, anyone want an interview? I'm over here. I got, I have something to say. There were days where it felt like they were almost competing to be like, all right, who's getting the headline today? You know, someone would just get out there and I'm like, all right, Richard Sherman's got something to say today. You, Cause as a reporter, you often go in with a plan. It's a Wednesday. I told my editor, I'm going to write about this for Thursday and this for Friday. These are the questions I'm going to ask. Ask, but you always have to be ready to adjust because you have no idea what's going to happen that day. And with that, those Seahawks teams, you had no idea if someone just wanted to go off about something on a random Wednesday in October. And then that's going to be um, the big story. So that was the big thing for me, just kind of looking around like, uh, all right, there are a lot of people in here I want to get to know, I want to interview. And the media contingent was a lot smaller than I was used to in Philadelphia, where it was like a, you know, maybe the biggest one in the league. And so it's those, you know, when you're watching the news or whatever, and you see 20 people with a recorder uh, crowded around a player, right? it's different. In Seattle, I could, you know, a lot of times it would just be me or me and two or three other reporters. And it's a more, I guess, um, intimate setting, you could say. That's awesome. I absolutely cannot wait to dig into this wild postseason with you. But this is first and foremost, a Seahawks pod. And I wanted to get your thoughts on where this team is at and what you'd like to see them do this offseason in order to join the rank of the contenders again. I'm like torn. I feel like I should be asking you, like, I need your input to tell, you know, to tell me, Lay it on me. Uh, you know, what you think is so here's where I'm at. And, and, and you can kind of tell, I, I do want to hear uh, what you think. Cause this is kind of on my off season to do list. I mean, as you know, Russell Wilson is going to be a huge league wide story very soon. You know, at, at any moment, something uh, could kind of just come out about what he's thinking, what his camp's thinking, that kind of thing. And even in Philadelphia where I'm located, I mean, every time I go on the radio, they ask me, you know, what do what do you, is Russell Wilson someone the Eagles should be looking at here uh, as they move forward? So, I mean, it, it it feels stale for sure. It feels like you know, do you really want to just run it back uh, again? Are you how are you going to improve? And so, on one hand, I'm kind of like there needs to be some kind of uh, shake up there. But as we know, if it's going to be Pete and Russ both there, there's not like a lot of wiggle room in my opinion for this to there to be this like you know huge changing of philosophy or the way they operate or anything like that. Now, if you look at their numbers this year, uh, you know, seven and 10, but if you look at the advanced stuff, you know, point differential, they were what, like a plus 30 or something like yep. that. If you look at DVOA, I, I couldn't believe it. They're number eight uh, in DVOA. Yep. And so it's like, you look at that and go, shoot, you know, Normally, that's not the type of team you're looking to break up. I mean, that's the type of team you're looking, hey, let's make some tweaks here and let's run it back. Maybe we'll get a little better luck next year and we're back in contention. So I guess my big picture thing is the hardest thing to accomplish in the NFL and the most meaningful thing 
is to have an efficient offense. I mean, if you have an offense that's going to finish in the top five, the top eight, in DVOA or whatever metric you want to look at look at year after year, you're going to be in the mix uh, in the playoffs every year. Like, that's what you're thriving for. I mean, teams that don't have that, that should be number one on their to-do list this offseason. How do we get that? Is it a great play caller? Can we take a big swing on a quarterback? So to me, if you have that in hand, like you really have to think think hard about wanting to actually break that up. And if you are going to break that up, you have to think about how are we going to get back to that with whatever our new look is, um, be that efficient offensively. So uh, where am I wrong? Where am I right? Uh, you know, what are you thinking going into this offseason? Your priority is mostly the same as mine in that, you know, I don't see how you can watch this last weekend of football and not come away feeling like you need to really have a great offense. I mean, you can point to the 49ers win, right? But nothing about that win really feels sustainable to me as like, hey, we're going to build around this where our offense actually isn't going to score. We're going to get a couple of field goals and block a punt for a touchdown. Like that's that's not like a, their defense was great. Don't get me wrong. Their defense was great. Aaron Rodgers played like shit in that game. Like, I don't see that style winning over and over again the way that you see with the Chiefs, the Bills, the Rams, the Bucks, the Bengals. You know, th- those are the teams that I think are going to consistently find themselves at the top of the heap. And, and it's not to say defense doesn't matter, but the NFL is changing. The Bills had the best defense in the NFL this year, and it didn't matter on Sunday. Like, it didn't matter at all. So I, I am with you there. That said... I think the defense was really bland and I'm happy to see that they made a change at the coordinator position. We know that, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. You know, we know that this is Pete's defense. And so what we don't know, and, and maybe you got a little bit of insight while you were there is how much of what we see on the field is the defensive coordinator just calling plays within Pete's philosophy versus the defensive coordinator really putting his his uh, fingerprints on the actual scheme. But what's interesting is the the Seahawks, the bookends of the Seahawks season are pretty encouraging. Their offense was really good until Russell Wilson got hurt. Their defense was really struggling, and they lost a couple of games um, specifically to the Titans and the Vikings early on where the defense just looked bad. But their offense was humming. Russell Wilson was the highest-rated passer in the NFL. They were scoring four points per drive, which is elite. You know, they were doing what they needed to do. And then, obviously, he gets hurt. There's a big drop-off to Geno Smith. Russ came back before he was ready to be Russell Wilson again. And I think there was a lot of lag time. But then you get to the last two weeks of the season, and they score 89 points in the final two games. So I spent a lot of this podcast this season talking about how I needed, I wanted to see major change from this organization. And I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I also want to be the type of person who allows new information to influence my opinions and not be married to a way that I felt a month ago. Things can change really fast. And as crazy as it seems, Rashad Penny kind of changed everything for me because we saw all of a sudden the best running back in the NFL for a five-game stretch. He had a better five-game stretch than anybody, including Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor had at any point this season. And the offense was going crazy. And Wilson went bananas. And everything was really, really good. Like the vibes that had been so bad for three months were all of a sudden really, really good. So I'm kind of in the run it back camp. And I think that as we're seeing unprecedented turnover at the head coaching level across the NFL, it's made me appreciate even more than I did. I've always had a healthy appreciation for what a weird fucking job NFL head coaches. I like, I can't think of anything short of president that, that matches up with how good you have to be at the actual version of your job, like the actual performance, while also representing this huge organization, you know, public public facing. And, and we're just seeing there's a lot of really good coaches that aren't up to the task. And that's one thing that Pete is really, really good at. So I'm, I'm kind of in the run it back camp now. And if you told me that a month and a half ago, <laughs> I would have said you were crazy. Yeah, no. Well, I think what you said is true. I mean, like, they—you don't have to like squint that hard to come up with a scenario 
where they're a top five offense next year and they win 10 or 11 games and they're in the playoffs. And I know like, you know, the standard there has been set higher than just making the playoffs. But, you know, like once you're in, you know, then it's just like, all right, who's getting hot? Who's getting some bounces their way? Uh, And so obviously it's great to get the uh, buy usually where you don't have to play in the first round. But like you can talk yourself into that. The other, you know, interesting thing I was thinking about recently is like all these young stud quarterbacks that we're seeing the Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. I mean, everyone like the AFC kind of has all those guys for the next 10 years. I Yo. mean, you, you could be looking at an NFC and we don't know what's going to happen, but potentially like Sean Payton's gone. So, I mean, that to like, <laughs> as long as he's there, you kind of had to take them seriously, but he's gone. That the franchise is not set up. Who knows if it, is Aaron Rodgers going to be there? Is Tom Brady going to be there? Because if not, like the NFC is just totally wide open uh, next year. And there really is no team that I would say like separates itself from a team like the Seahawks if Russell Wilson uh, is healthy there. And so, you know, it, it's it's sort of an unusual time in the league where it feels like a lot of these young quarterbacks are going to be beating up each other in the AFC and the NFC is going to be a little bit more wide open. But maybe that's something you have to take into uh, into account as well. For a long time, it seemed like the road to the Super Bowl has been way tougher on the NFC side of things than the AFC. You you had, I mean, for like 20 years, you kind of had the same few teams in the AFC that were contenders. You had your Steelers, your Ravens, your Patriots, obviously, the Colts, uh, you know, and and then the Broncos when Manning was there. But even after that, it was just like, yeah, hey, you might see an upstart team here or there. But the NFC was a fucking agogi every single year. Whereas like there's nine or 10 teams with legitimate championship aspirations. And we've seen that shift really with the advent of the chiefs, I think, uh, and, and Brady switching conferences, of course, I think opens some things up for some of these other, uh, teams to elevate, but yeah, there's so much young quarterback talent in the AFC. And now the NFC is kind of in shambles. I mean, you mentioned Rodgers and Brady. Those are the two biggest needle movers. Sean Payton just left the Saints in absolute hell when it comes to their cap situation and the quarterback situation. Like these are three perennial contenders that might be out of the equation next year. Like the road to the top of the conference is clearer than it's been in a really long time. So you're telling me you're not that high on Jordan Love? <laughs> There's there is not much to support the notion so far. Yeah, and then you know, you look at the teams that are there now. I mean, you know, the 49ers, let, let, we'll see how this season plays out. Like, I, I don't know, do they have a quarterback decision to make after the season? Maybe, you know, they, they gave up a lot to get Trey Lance. Are they running it back with uh, with Jimmy G? You know, Matthew Stafford is going to be, what, 34 years old or so. So I'm not saying these are, like, these are teams that are, I think, going to still be in the mix, but I don't think you really look at those teams and say they're juggernauts who, uh, you know, whereas if you're in the AFC, you're going, wait, I have to go through Mahomes and Josh Allen just to get to the Super Bowl like that is a tall task uh for a lot of teams to face there yeah totally man I mean the 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 path is there we talked about the Seahawks having made one really big decision it's been a slow churn with this hiring cycle in the NFL usually by now we've seen the new head coaches and GMs and coordinators in place with teams that you know are out of the playoffs. That hasn't really happened this year. And it does look like the Seahawks by all indications are going to be moving forward with Pete, John and Russ and Shane Waldron as their offensive coordinator. And, and I'm, I'm at peace with that for sure. But I, I did want to see them add a little juice on defense. And I just, I didn't see it with this, with the scheme that, that they had. So Ken Norton jr. Is out. Um, I was encouraged to hear Pete use the word attack when talking about some uh, changes you'd like to see on that side of the ball. When you look at the Seahawks defense and, and who their best players are on that side of the ball, what kind of direction do you want to see that defense go? It's a good question. I feel like there are a lot of teams in the NFL struggling with, uh, you know, hey, it sort of changes every year. What, you know, what, what scheme, hey, how do we want to play it? I mean, last year, the big thing was, play with two deep safeties and play zone coverage and keep everything in front of you. And if teams want to run the football a little bit, you know, that's okay because like it, like let's take this weekend for instance, right? If you're uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and their defensive coordinator 
and you and Patrick Mahomes is going to hand the ball off 23 times like you're giving high fives in the coach's box. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right, six, right. Five, six yards of carry, go ahead. You, yeah, you can have that all day long. And so that's been kind of the philosophy because these quarterbacks, these offensive schemers have become so good that if you play with a little more risk and you open yourself up to giving up those big plays – then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're, you're giving up 30, 35, 40 points a game. So now I feel like it's gone a little bit too far. You know, if, if you look at like a team like the Eagles this year, they kind of tried to play with that philosophy. I mean, it's the most boring defense I've ever watched. They're just giving up nine, 10 play drives time after time after time. And opposing quarterbacks are completing 80% uh, of their passes against them. And so they're not giving up explosive plays, but it's like, who cares? Your defense still isn't very good. So, I mean, my big thing with defensive football is that like I think those guys are wired a certain way I don't think they're wired to sit back and say you know yeah we'll get we'll give you this like, like you mentioned that word attack uh you know I, I went to a Ravens training camp in the summer and John Harbaugh used the term we want to force a, a quick outcome one way or the other like love we're, that we're oh, we're bringing it to that. you you know what we're gonna give up some big plays that's fine, but like on Tuesday night when you're game planning for our defense, you're going to be going, oh my God, I, can't, I do not want to game plan for this defense. They could blitz this guy. They could blitz this guy. They could show me this front. They could be playing a heavy dose of man coverage this week. Wait, but two weeks ago, they played a bunch of zone. I think variety is very important. The quarterbacks are too good. I mean, you're not going to go into a game and completely confuse Tom Brady, but at the same time, it's like about those handful of plays, you know? Is there a third down in the third quarter where you're showing them a look that you you haven't put on film all year and now all of a sudden he had to hold the ball for an extra half a second and that allowed your mm -hmm. defensive end to hit it like those are the things that really mattered in my opinion in modern football uh defensively I mean you mentioned it with the bills like you're just the shutdown defenses don't really exist anymore I mean you're not gonna really be able to build a team that just year in year out it's just gonna be shutting offenses down I, I think that you know there will be exceptions uh at some point if a team just kind of Lux into a bunch of talent because it's still all about the players. But for the most part, that's going to be hard to do. So uh, I feel like you, you need to let the defensive players uh, be aggressive. And I think you need to have variety where it's not static, where it's not a scheme, where, uh, you know, I, I would joke with this Eagles defense that like opposing quarterbacks, like they don't need to take a shower afterwards. Like there's, there's no sweat <laughs> underneath those armpits for the, for like Derek Carr when he's facing the Eagles. I mean, the guy just sat back there, wasn't touched and completed 80% of his passes. So I, th this year was, kind of clarifying for me. I'm like, all right, I know what kind of defense I hate and I don't want to see. And it's that type of defense. Uh, and then there's a, you know, you can have different conversations about, you know, what the best way is to go about kind of what I just mentioned. Yeah. You know, the single best thing you can do as a defense is turn the ball over. The second best thing you can do is sack the quarterback. Seattle doesn't do either of those things like at all this past season, really the past few seasons. Um, they've, they've rated really low in both categories and this might just be an aesthetic criticism because look, Seattle was very good in points allowed. They were very good in points allowed per drive, but it's not a win to me to give up a 14 play eight minute drive and then allow three points that, that to me, isn't, that's not a win. And I would rather risk one extra touchdown a game, one one field goal that turns into a touchdown if it means an extra turnover or two, an extra couple sacks or two, where you're flipping the field, making it easier on your offense, giving your offense with a great quarterback and two great receivers and maybe now a great running back more opportunities to score. It's just really, really hard if – I got to think that like – as an offense, and don't get me wrong, Seahawks offense struggled for the entire belly of their season, but it's hard to for them to find rhythm if they do have a three and out, and then they sit there for 40 minutes of real time while the other team drains most of a quarter on one drive, and then you go out and it's like, shit, if we go three and out again, like we're you know, pretty pretty soon, an hour and a half's gone by. We've run six plays. So I, I would rather just see them gamble a bit more and be a little bit 
more multifaceted the way that you said being able to disguise some looks and and things like that especially if you're going to trade two first round picks for a player like Jamal Adams who is not a you, I loved what you said about defensive players having a certain mindset and that mindset is not like hey let's let's just make sure we don't get deep like if if you're an NFL caliber defensive player you are a goddamn killer yeah. and and I felt like for the first six years of Pete Carroll's tenure in Seattle, they went out looking to kill opposing offenses. And that just hasn't been the case lately. Yeah, yeah. They they, they want to, you know, inflict pain uh, on the opponent. And, you know, a lot of this is um, opponent-based and, you know, it, it kind of depends who are you facing? You know, like if you're facing Patrick Mahomes, uh, I would not, uh, you know, tell you that you should be blitzing, blitzing him. I mean, the, just the numbers are there that you're probably going to get cooked. Same thing with Matthew Stafford. You know, that game last week, uh, you know, t- the Bucks they blitzed Matthew Stafford on that last play. Matthew Stafford was the best quarterback in the NFL against the Blitz uh, this year. That he's, was mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh. He's played a lot of football. And so, you know, it, it's like time, you know, it's sort of like a time and place thing. And that's what, you know, as Don Draper would say, that's what the money's for for the coaches is to figure out when to deploy this, when to deploy that. You know, maybe there is a week where you sit back and say, let's just chill. We're going to play, you know, we're going to play two deep safeties and we're just going to make them move the ball. I don't think that can be the core of, you know, I, I don't like that as the core of your defense. Uh, you know, in terms of man versus zone, this is, you know, what you said about turnovers is really interesting because, uh, you know, I feel like coaches now feel like if we play more zone coverage, we're more uh, prone to creating turnovers because everyone's got their eyes on the quarterback and, you know, you can read him a little bit and you can jump around. Whereas if you're playing man and you're facing sort of the receiver, uh, it's harder to come up with those turnovers. So I think you even this year, and I haven't looked at all the numbers on this, but it feels like teams have leaned even more into a lot of zone coverage, which of course is what, you know, that's what Pete wants to do uh, anyway. It's just the, the type of zone uh, you want to play and how, how you want to get to different looks and, and that kind of thing. Totally agree. And and I understand it's important to have a, a base philosophy, but I, I do think adaptability is really important. And, you know, if you can rush four and occasionally five and drop six, seven guys into coverage, every one of them has their eyes on the quarterback, that's great against dysfunctional offenses like Jacksonville or Washington or a few others around the league. But if you're going to compete for a Super Bowl, you have to beat Josh Allen's and Patrick Mahomes's and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and guys that, oh, you're just going to sit back and and give me like three pockets to throw to. I'm, the ball's going to be out of my hands in 2.3 seconds. Time, yeah. And yeah, and I've got great receivers who I've mind melded with who are going to be looking for it. I mean, the Rams do it to the Seahawks every single game. And so having the ability to switch when you need to, like you were talking about to switch into a man coverage, to be able to blitz from multiple angles, to feel like you can run some disguised pressures, I think is just so crucial. If you want to beat good teams, the Seahawks are perfectly equipped to beat bad teams with a healthy Russell Wilson, but it's been a while since they've beaten a really good team in December, January. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's all about being able to do, uh, being able to do different things to adapt. You know, if you feel like, Hey, shoot, we lucked into these two great outside corners and they can really play man coverage. Well now, you know, it's third and four. Yeah. Go ahead and play uh, man coverage and take your chances there. So uh, I think those are the things you need to do is you need to be able to do different things, adapt to the opponent, not get stuck on uh, on sort of one way of doing it week in and week out. And that's the struggle I think coaches uh, face. And I, I think it's legit is like, you want to be able to do all those different things, but at the same time, you want your players to just be able to play and not thinking about 20 different things and 20 different rules. Like that's the struggle that every coach really uh, faces. And so they have to figure out, well, what are we comfortable teaching we don't want to ever want to put a player out there where they're not prepared because that's just terrible coaching. If they don't know what to do or you have a coverage bust or it's, Hey, why, you know, why is there so much volume in our playbook? And so like, that's the balance that uh, all those guys need to find. You know, one of the things that I appreciate every time you and I get a chance to chat about football is you say something that reminds me of something I've thought about by myself. And, and one of the, one of the things based off of what you just said is, you know, the freedom to go ahead and and just be instinctual and 
go make a play. When I read Win Forever, Pete Carroll's book, he talked about when he first got to the Seahawks, he would have a team meeting and just ask players to tell one story about when they were in the zone, right? What's what's a peak athletic performance that you had? And Lawyer Malloy, one of the examples he gave was uh, stood up and talked about throwing a no-hitter in high school. And Pete asked him, like, what were you thinking about while you were doing that? And he's like, I, I wasn't thinking. I was just I was just pitching. And that was such a hallmark of the Legion of Boom era Seahawks was they weren't out there overanalyzing and worrying about their assignments. They knew their assignments so well that they also knew when they could break off and just go make a play. And they were the scariest defense since the early 2000 Ravens. And will probably they're probably the last truly scary defense the NFL will ever see. And, and it feels like you don't have that with Seattle right now. You don't have this instinctive, go get the ball, go make a play. It's just sort of like, okay, this is my zone. I'm going to defend this zone come what may. And, and I'm hoping whoever they bring in creates a structure that allows some freedom of expression from these killers. Yeah, it's always, you know, is it is it the scheme or is it the the talent? Did they just have the uh, talent exodus of all these great players? And that's why, it, sure. you know, it's hard to uh, recapture that and uh, whether that comes down to drafting free agency, uh, whatever, but adding those types of players. But yeah, they were definitely in tune, you know, and it certainly helps if you have like three or four players specifically in the secondary who get like, you know, two or three years together and you're playing a lot of zone. I mean, I know I remember Earl Thomas just saying zone coverage, everyone's on a string, you know, if one guy's moving that way, then everybody needs to be uh, adjusting accordingly. And so when you have a lot of roster turnover, when you have um, different defensive backs specifically shuffling in and out every year and you're playing a lot of zone, it gets harder. I mean, you could take 11 strangers and if you're going to play man coverage every snap, you can go out and play an NFL game because it's, you know, I think it was, I forget, it was someone on the Patriots had um, tweeted out like a joke and and he said like, you know, the game plan on Tuesday, they just put my number, I think it might have been JC Jackson, the cornerback. He's like, they put my number on the chalkboard and then they put another number of the receiver I'm covering and that's the game plan because the Patriots play man coverage like the highest degree uh, of it. So so like if you have that turnover, um, you know, anyone can do that with man, but with zone, I mean, it just takes one guy being out of position. Like you mentioned, the quarterbacks are too good. They're going to find that. And even the, even the really good defenses, um, who play a lot of zone coverage, like the, you know, the 49ers, for example, right? They've been lights out in the playoffs. I feel like they've really overachieved this year defensively. There was the clip circulating on Twitter of the last uh, third down that Aaron Rodgers had in that game where he targets Devontae Adams is being double teamed. Uh, you know, they're bl- it's a very creative look. I mean, they're blitzing two safeties from depth and Devontae Adams is being double teamed by a third safety. The 49ers, I was looking at the, the all 22 clip, they bust the coverage and Alan Lazard is in the middle of the field on a deep dig. Bro. I mean, no one within seven yards of him, but you know, Aaron Rodgers is thrown into uh double. So even the good defenses are going to have those coverage busts. So if you're like a bad defense and you're trying to do it, I mean, it's lights yeah. out, you know, that, that was one play where the quarterback didn't take advantage but throughout the course of a game you have you know four or five six of those and you had those those games where the one player's looking at the other guy you know the camera goes to him after the touchdown one guy's got his hands on his hips the other guy's pointing like those are the defenses you know are not well coached yeah no no question I I like what you said about the difference between man and zone in that which Seattle plays very little man coverage right and you know, in, in man, you're either way, either way, man or zone, you are counting on everyone to do their job. That that doesn't change. But the leverage of someone not doing their job is different, right? Because in man, one person, whether it be a linebacker, a corner, a safety, whatever, can get out of position, get beat on a route, and there's an opportunity for for the quarterback. In zone, if so, it's like, lining up a set of dominoes. And if you are, if, if one of those dominoes falls the wrong way, the rest don't go. Yeah. And, and we saw a lot of that from the Seahawks in the first half of the season is basically Quandre Diggs just screaming at people because it's just like, how is this dude open by eight yards every single play? And they did a really, really good job of, of buttoning that up. I guess 
one question that I have for you as someone who covers the whole league and has a really good sense of how different teams approach things, how likely is it, because we're about to talk about this insane playoffs that we got going on, how likely is it, do you think, that Seattle could be here in this championship weekend a year from now? You know, I think I would look at it and say I feel like offensive line is the big thing for them, especially with what three starters are uh, free agents, I believe, this offseason. And so to me, like, you know, that's where it started. Like a team like the Bills, they they took a swing on Josh Allen, and then it was right away, how are we surrounding this guy and putting him in position to succeed? God, I love how they built it. Yeah, yeah it was – and I went to Bills training camp too this summer and was asking their GM about it, and he was like, that's exactly what we did, like – it was, all right, weapons and offensive line, and then everything else uh, we'll kind of figure out there. And so, like, they were positioned, even if Josh Allen didn't become Josh Allen, they kind of had a nice setup to, if they wanted to take a swing on, like, a veteran quarterback to plug him in there because the, the surrounding cast was uh, so good. And that's where I, I think I, I sort of hear the Seahawks fans' frustrations over the years where, like, you sort of feel like after that Legion of Boom era was over, kind of, the, you know, I was covering sort of the latter end of that, 2015, 2016, I think it was 2017 was like the big reset. Like once you're doing that big reset, it really, you know, I, I, I think would behoove them to just be like, let's get this offense. Like, what do we need? Offensive line, weapons, I, the defense might not be great, but we will figure that out. And so... That hasn't changed for me in terms of what I think they need to do now. It's like I think it's the same thing. Get the you know do whatever you can to fix the offensive line. Uh, I think the way you know the receivers are pretty good. Maybe you add kind of a, a, a third weapon there. But uh, I don't think it's crazy to answer your question. You know, I, I look at the other teams that are there. I think the Cowboys are a talented team, but not a well coached team. And I don't have any confidence that they're going to be there um, in the <laughs> NFC Championship. We don't know if Aaron Rodgers is even going to be in the conference anymore the vikings are not a team that you know there's no one in the nfc north i would even look at there's no one else in the nfc east i would even look at the nfc south the panthers i mean that thing i've never seen an organization that's set up to kind of like that's going to be a disaster uh next year i think the panthers <laughs> the falcons are in a rebuild i'm just going through this all in my head we don't know if brady's back bro the nfc west Saints, or the nfc, the is NFC in west. shambles it's the nfc west i mean it's, it's all it, it's it is the sport. nfc west yeah i mean you're looking at the same you could legitimately have four of the top six or seven yeah, teams in the NFC all be in the, that division. 100%. And the, and the Cardinals fell apart. I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to find answers. Yeah, they're frauds. Yeah. The it, Cardinals are fraudulent. In the uh, in the offseason. And so, like, what are you looking at there? I mean, can the Seahawks beat the 49ers or Rams in a playoff game? Yeah, of course. I mean, those, again, just look at, like, DVOA. I know DVOA is in everything, but, like, just look at that. In no, terms no, no, no. Of, don't say that. It don't is everything. That. DVOA <laughs> is everything. DVOA is everything. You caught yourself immediately. You know your we audience. We banners in Seattle. I know. I know. I was there. Mina Kimes, someone brought her the jersey the one time, I remember. Uh, <laughs> when I was there. It just said DVOA on the back. Uh, but, yeah. Friend of the show, Mina Kimes. Yeah. So, um, I, don't, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, you, you always want to go into it and like, all right, can they have some kind of philosophical change where they kind of do what I just said and say, all right, let's just build up that offense. Let's build up the offensive line and let's just go and, and make sure we have a top five efficient offense and we'll figure the rest out. I don't really think that's how they uh, operate, but it might not take too much to get to that point. So, um, yeah, I think they certainly can be in the mix. You've got a soft landing spot for the points that you were just making because Mike and I have echoed that sentiment in terms of just hammer the offensive line, like stop playing mix and match, yeah. stop with the reclamation projects, stop with turning defensive linemen and tight ends into guards and tackles. Just go spend the money, spend the draft capital on those horses. And for the first time in, I don't know, eight years, they actually have some real cap space to do it. And we had Jake Heaps on the show a few weeks ago. He was very close to Russell Wilson, and he was banging the table for just go get some studs up front. And the thing is, everybody's offensive scheme looks awesome when your offensive line is kicking ass. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's uh, you know, usually it's hard to do like a whole makeover in an offseason, but look at the Chiefs. I mean, what they did last offseason, they traded for a left tackle in Orlando Brown. They just paid crazy money for a guard in Joe Thune. They have two starters uh, who are rookies 
or just like lights out. Like, I mean, these guys are like Pro Bowl players right away. So you got to get a little lucky. But yeah, I'm with you. You kind of want to throw uh, a lot of resources at it. And like the rest of the offense doesn't need uh, a ton of work here. Like you mentioned, I mean, you could really make no other changes at the skill position players. Uh, and if you build up the offensive line and it's like a top 10 offensive line, you're probably going to have like a top eight offense next year. And as we just mentioned, that's the hardest thing to do. I think if you give the Seahawks a top 10 offensive line for the first time since like 2006, you are talking about a top three or four offense with Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, a healthy Rashad Penny, Travis Homer. Oh my God. An embarrassment (laughs) of riches. (laughs) Fuck out of here, Mike. Swear to God. I'm going to find a new producer. Uh, They, Like, if there's a top 10 offensive line in Russell Wilson's future, they are burning the league down. And now they have a chance. They got $53 million to work with. Yeah, it sucks that their bad record this year doesn't net them a top pick in the first round. But it means top picks in every other round, which matters. Like, they can really put some things together with some remaining cap space. And and the Chiefs are the perfect example. And, And... we appreciate you not mentioning their center by name. Uh, he who shall not be named around here because that, that is going to burn us forever that Seattle took D. Eskridge over that. And I like D. Eskridge, but man, oh man, uh, having an all pro center would be on a rookie contract would be real nice. But yeah, I, I thought Seattle was in full burn it down, pick out the eight players that matter the most and then reset everything else. I don't necessarily feel that way anymore. I think that the NFC is wide open and that there is a path to the pinnacle that isn't that far out of reach if they allocate the assets that they have in the right way. That's true for a lot of teams, but I do think it's a pretty clear path for Seattle. That said, Seattle did go 7-10. and 10. They missed the playoffs. They're out of the fun. We got four teams left, and this is like the most entertaining playoffs that I can remember. I mean... The walk-out rounds, a little bit of a dud, but really that was just about separating the wheat from the chaff, right? Like it was, I'm sure it was great to see the Eagles in there. No one really considered them to be championship contenders, right? Same thing with Cardinals, Cowboys, Steelers, Raiders. We're just kind of getting these teams out of here. And then once we were down to eight, oh my God, like that was, that was incredible. Tell me you've ever seen a weekend of football like that before. Yeah, I don't remember one. Now, you know, I have two young kids. My memory's terrible. Like, I don't even remember who was in the playoffs last year. So I'm always like the worst person to ask these things for <laughs> historical context. But I can tell you that I really enjoyed myself uh, last weekend. And I was uh, I was thoroughly entertained. It was a great mix because it was like, you know, it's kind of like a TV show. You know, you had like the new characters, like a Joe Burrow uh, coming in. And it's like, ooh, I could, you know, this is a good character. This guy, This guy's pretty fun. I mean, I think he's one of the most fun quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, already so you have him and then I mean the Aaron Rod the the 49ers Packers game was destined to be like entertaining regardless you know because it's either Aaron Rodgers is going to light him up or Aaron Rodgers might be playing his last game uh, as a Green Bay Packer and that's the way that it went and the way it went there with you know it's like this ugly it was an ugly game, but it wasn't like a bore. You know, I, I was never bored during no, that game. No, I mean, no, no. Was Every scoring, play felt intense, super high leverage. Right? Yeah. Um, so it was the cold out there and everyone's freezing. And then you get the blocked punt and it's like, they're not really going to blow this, are they? And they did blow it. And so uh, that was great. And then you get to Sunday and it feels like it's a blowout. But it's always like, well, all right, we we know who is on the other side there. I'm not gonna there. like, I'm not gonna uh-huh. like go out and take a walk or anything right now because it's 27, just because 27-3, and so that one comes down to to the end, and and then just the capper at the end. You know, I think uh, as uh, as I've gotten older, like my part of what I appreciate most about sports is you just want to see like greatness. Like yeah. the, the, the guys at like the, the very top, just totally going to this other level where you always knew they had, and it's always, you can't get there every time. But when two guys are doing that back and forth with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and it's just like, uh, Oh my gosh. Like you knew going into the fourth quarter that, 
something crazy was going to happen uh, at the end. You didn't know quite probably 13, the 13 seconds. I mean, no one will ever forget 13 seconds, right? I mean, that's how you'll remember no. that game. 13 no. seconds, 13 freaking seconds, and it was still too much time for Patrick Mahomes. So, um, yeah, well, incredible. Yeah, and and now I get to tell my wife that 13 seconds is long enough. So. <laughs> nice. Shebang. Well done. <laughs> it's, it's long enough for Patrick Mahomes. It's long enough for me. We talk about Tom Brady being down by multiple scores. It always makes me think of the scene in The Wire where Omar starts walking through the projects whistling and everyone starts yelling, Omar's coming. And they're just, they're just looking to hide. They're shuttering up the windows. They're sprinting away. All these things like you just knew even at 27 to three, halfway through the third quarter, you knew Omar was coming with Tom Brady. And, and that was the only game here's crazy. Here's, the craziest thing about that weekend, the Rams-Bucks game was the only game that saw any snaps taken with more than a one-score lead. Mm. Wow. I didn't realize that. Think about how crazy that is, yeah. where it's just like every single play is high leverage for three games. And then the entire fourth quarter of that game it magnifies every coaching decision, every throw, every block, every tackle attempt, it every flag that gets thrown becomes such a huge deal. And and that's like the peak sports watching experience. We get so bogged down in the Twitter arguments and film guy versus analytics guy and all of these things. And, and there's value in those conversations, but like we didn't fall in love with sports because of that. Right. We fell in love with sports because of great moments. And every single game just gave us unrelenting great moments for 48 hours. Man, that was so awesome. Yeah, yeah. There was so much so much drama. And with, with Brady, it was like, you know, he didn't look. You know, there are games where they're coming back and he sort of has that look like I'm not sort of letting us lose. I almost felt there he was kind of like, Shoot, we might we might not just not have it today because they kept. I right. mean, it, you know, they were still getting like the um, the Rams defense was still stopping them in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, like they had opportunity. The Bucks really had opportunities to steal that game, and then the Rams would just keep giving it back to him and back to him. And then he hits Evans <laughs> on the one, and you're like, all right, finally. You know, we sort of been waiting for this uh, this comeback to happen, but yeah, I mean, it could we could. Like, what if we remember that? Is is that the last time we saw Tom Brady? Is it the last time we saw the pa- right. Rodgers in a Packers uniform? I mean, it really could be like a, a, a historical NFL weekend as we learn more here in the months ahead and, and what's to come. Totally. And and now that we're down to the final four, I do want to ask you this. If you had to bet, say, $10,000 <laughs> on one of these teams oh to gosh. win it all, who's it going to be? And why would you place that bet on them? Okay, to win it all. That that was easier than I was expecting because I do have to make my picks against the spread on the athletic for Friday, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to decide where I want to put my 10k yet. But they, to they win got it, the I think they got the spreads right this week too. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would I, I would go chalk probably with, with the Chiefs here. I mean, they're seven and a half point favorites, which you know doesn't mean that they're a lock to win it. But man, after it's probably some recency bias, but after watching what Mahomes did last week, and really it's been like the last five six weeks. I mean, their offense really did have some ups and downs for the first say 12 weeks of the season or so. It wasn't just like a figment of people's imagination. I mean, they they had games there where they just did not look like themselves. And that had been the greatness of Mahomes prior to this year. It wasn't just that his best moments were unbelievable and they were the best offensive performances you saw. Like he didn't have a bad game. I mean, like you mentioned like the analytics people on Twitter, like they would put these graphs out. It's like, I mean, his bad game was not a bad game. Like it was like, okay, you know, it's not your P but this year they did actually have some bad offensive performances. And once they got it all together and once they figured out how defenses are really going to play them, they adjusted to it. And seeing that, uh, I feel like the Chiefs are probably, I don't know what the odds are right now, but I feel like they're pretty big favorites um, you know, among these four teams to, to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. They've got some deficiencies on defense for sure, but it's almost like it doesn't matter. Like the Bills just scored every time they got the ball in the second half for the most part. And it literally didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> they scored a go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left, and it didn't matter. And and that is so hard. I mean, look, 
Yeah, a lot of people want to say they got exposed in the Super Bowl last year. You lose your two best offensive linemen against the Todd Bowles defense, it's going to be tough. They had six dropped passes. Andy Reid was dealing with everything that was happening with his son's uh, car accident. Like, there was a lot of things working against them. Outside of that game, though, I mean, you even go to the Super Bowl the year before. They were down by 10 with five and a half minutes left and had like a third and 21 or whatever yeah. it was. And it just didn't matter. And they scored three touchdowns consecutively. They scored three touchdowns. You're down 10 points with five and a half minutes left facing third and forever, and you score 21 points. Patrick Mahomes had 177 yards passing after the two-minute warning against the Bills. Oh there were 31 points scored after the two-minute warning <laughs> in that game. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter. You can hold them down for 55 minutes, and it just doesn't matter. You know, I, I think their best matchup is the Rams. I think the Rams are the one team left that can kind of keep up with them. But the Rams can't beat the Niners, right? And, like, talking with a Niners buddy of mine who lived down in the L.A. area for a long time, he's like, look, L.A. is Niners country. Like, I know the Rams just showed up, but... It's going to be a lot of Niners fans there, and McVay has lost his last six games against Shanahan regardless of who the 49ers quarterback has been. I think if it's a rematch between the Chiefs and the Niners, I think it, I think the Chiefs blow them away. But if the Rams figure out the Niners this time and get there, I think we could be in for an all-timer. And I, I know a lot of purists are going to, wag their heads at me but i would love to see a rematch of that 54 to 51 game from a few years ago i'd be all in on that yeah i, I think you're right about the rams the rams high level game is better than the 49ers high level game like if you're just yeah. saying you know who everything goes right for them and they do exactly what they want to do who has a higher ceiling uh i i would say it's the rams and we've seen that at times i mean stafford is a very high variance player um you know i, I really did not think that he was going to be able to string together three games in the playoffs and, and not make enough mistakes to cost his team a win. Because really, if you look at the last four or five weeks of the season, he was not playing great. You know, maybe longer right. than that, really the second half of the season, they had a lot of ups and downs. He was making a lot of mistakes, but uh, he's played great. The first, first two weeks of the playoffs, none of their four fumbles last week were um, oh on Matthew Stafford. They had nothing to do with him. I mean, Jalen Ramsey on Tyree kill Aaron Donald getting in Patrick Mahomes, face. I mean, it, it would. I, I agree with you. I think that would uh, be the best matchup, but I don't know if we're going to see it. You know, like you mentioned, the I know. 49ers I know. have also just been tough to put away and talk about a flawed team. I mean, they can't play. We talked about man and zone. They can't play man coverage. I mean, their corners right. have not been good all year long. They're shuffling guys in and out. Uh, their defensive coordinator, in my opinion, D'Amico Ryans, has just done an outstanding job of kind of scheming around oh, those yeah. deficiencies. And their defense has, has played well, and they've sort of figured, figured out a way. And you kind of keep waiting. All right. Well, week 18, all right, they won there, but they'll probably lose in the wild card round. Wild card round, they win. All right, they'll probably lose. In the, well, here they are. They're one win away they from uh, being in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, blue chip players. You know, the, the Debo's and the George Kittles and the uh, Bosa and Fred Warner, like those are legit, you know. You have different, I guess, ranges of blue chip players. You know, yeah, hey, this guy's really good. And then you just have the guys who can take over, and that's those guys. You know, we, we get caught up in criticizing scheme and saying, hey, this should be different from a philosophical standpoint with this team or that team. Sometimes it's just about sending out your champion and saying, go make a play. Yeah. Right. It, 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 we keep going back to that last Chiefs drive, but I'm sure you've seen the mic'd up audio where it was basically Travis Kelsey just calling the plays at the line of scrimmage. And, and, and Kelsey, who is going to go down as the greatest tight end of all time, most likely, was a quarterback his first two years in college at Cincinnati. And that's part of his greatness. And he was just telling Mahomes, like, hey, here's what I think they're going to do on defense. And when they do, I'm going to do this. And Tyreek is going to do this. So just know, you've got us. And then, sure enough, Tyreek for a big game, timeout. Kelsey for a big game, timeout. And... And the Niners do have some champions that they can throw out there. When the game was on the line, it was third and seven, and they're risking giving it back to Rodgers for the final drive of the game. 
they handed it off to Debo Samuel and just said, go get a first down. And he did. And the Rams have guys who can do the Rams have as many top end champions as any other team. Um, we haven't talked much about the Bengals and, and they kind of feel like the happy to be here guys of this group, but I'm not sleeping on a burrow Higgins chase type of game against the, against yeah. the Chiefs. They might make the Chiefs score a lot of points. Let's not forget they beat the Chiefs 24 days ago. I know. I know. It took 260 yards from Jamar Chase and like 450 from Joe Burrow. It took like their high-end game, but Yeah, but Gabriel Davis just had 200 yards and four touchdowns against them. Yeah. I, I love this Bengals team. Like I've, uh, I, I love them. I they made me cry early in the season because I'm going to. Do you realize that what this quarterback's capable of? And they're handing it's kind of, you know, probably like the the Seahawks discourse sums over the years a little bit. Where I'm going, stop <laughs> right. handing the ball to Joe Mixon every first and second down. Like this, Joe Burrow is a legit guy. He like let him and Jamar Chase just do what they need to do. And I think they had a loss to the 49ers week 13, week 14 in overtime. And I think they're. Zach Taylor, their coach, got uh, a lot of criticism for kind of what I just mentioned, where they were not putting the ball in Burrow's hands um, late in the game in overtime. And it does feel like something flipped there for them. Because if you look at it, it, you know, even statistically or just the eye test, I mean, it's different now. They're saying, all right, if we're, if we're going to lose, I don't care if Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times, we're still going to keep putting the ball in his hands and, um, and see if he can make a play. So they are so, I mean, they are always just a second away from scoring a 50-yard touchdown. I mean, more so than really any team we've seen in recent memory when you look at the numbers. And so uh, I'm with you. You know, I'm not not sleeping on them. Uh, There's a scenario where they're in that game where they're just saying, we'll throw the ball 55 times this game. We don't care uh, what's going to happen. Joe Burrow can get the next six weeks off if we lose to recover and get ready for next season. (laughs) We know our offensive line isn't good, but we drafted him number one for a reason. And I love his demeanor. Like he doesn't get up and like glare at the, you know, old lineman. He never looks like, you know, when he's in pain, he's in pain, but he's just like, all right, you know, Joe Burrow is the, the next coolest play. motherfucker. He's man. great. Yeah. He, he really is one of my favorite guys to watch uh, already. Um, so yeah, I, I, I have my, I have high hopes for that game too. I'm hoping that's not going to be a blowout because I, I don't, I don't have a hard time seeing him get blown out. Like they could be down, you know, even in, when the game just mentioned where they played the chiefs, they're down 14, nothing in the first quarter. They punted 20 twice and you're going all right blow out he hits chase on a little curl and chase goes 72 yards races through the chief's defense yep. touchdown and all of a sudden they're back in it so like they always have that in them in my in my opinion totally you know they're they're kind of like uh <laughs> they're kind of like a mario kart team where they could get that star at any point and yeah. just like you get the ball <laughs> to a mix and a chase a higgins a boyd and it it doesn't matter what the other cars on the track are doing <laughs> Like they're getting where they're going. And and if they have a game like that, the Chiefs Chiefs secondary sucks. We don't know if Tyron Matthews gonna play. Right. So like the avenue is there for sure. And you know, before we wrap up, Burrow and the Bengals, they do deserve their flowers here. I mean, he got sacked nine times on the road against the number one seed in the AFC and won. Yeah. That is bonkers yeah absolutely i mean what we just talked about with the bills and the seahawks that applies to them like just dump every freaking resource you have into the offensive line like i don't care oh, what man it means. they're so set up you don't need anything wide receiver you're great running back you're great like i don't care about i don't care if you don't add one player on defense and inexpensive yeah yeah exactly like build up that offensive line maximize the next uh two years while he's on his rookie contract and see because i mean nothing's guaranteed you know it feels like all right it's not their time yet burrow's young they're in the afc championship game well they're gonna get back there it's it's hard i mean you know it, it's hard to get back there you never know what's gonna happen any year you don't know what your injury luck's gonna be like like you don't know how much you're gonna have to be paying those guys uh when it's three or four years down the road and so it's like you know don't don't take it for granted you're you're one win away from playing in the super bowl after the franchise hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years like you know could go don't, don't it's not you can say it's house money but it's not house money when you get uh that close to it yeah burrow 
I, I'm happy for Bengals fans. I, I hate rooting, rooting for bad ownership, and I see the Bengals as like just a really cheap organization. Yeah. I mean, you see them giving their press conferences behind what looks like those <laughs> <laughs> things that the substitute teacher would wheel in, right? You know what I mean? And they're just like, oh, my God, your franchise is worth like $3 billion. What's going on here? But they're, they're just bulletproof. So, okay, before we get out of here, one last question. You've got the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Who are they beating, and what's the score? Mm. All right, I'm gonna write to change my uh, my opinion in the next 48 hours, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go with the 49ers. You know, like you mentioned, he he's had uh, Shanahan's had McVay's number here for uh, six games in a row. Uh, maybe they're a little more battle tested. Uh, they've got the guys. They, I, I don't think they're going to put as much on Garoppolo's plate as the Rams will have to put on Stafford's plate, if that makes sense. So um, I will go Chiefs over the Niners. Let me think of a score. Oh, man, they're going to attack those cornerbacks, aren't they? Aren't they? Andy Reid with two weeks to figure out how to uh, attack those guys. That could get a little ugly. I'll go 31-26. to 26. Chiefs are okay. the 49ers. you've got a little closer. <laughs> you've yeah. Got go- All yeah. right. So I also I also have <laughs> Chiefs over Niners at this point. And and I don't see it being that close. I got 34 to 16 Chiefs over the Niners. I, I just don't see the firepower there uh for for them to keep up. And and I would be thrilled to see the 49ers suffer their third straight Super Bowl <laughs> loss and the pain that that would give to that organization. But I would also love to see them make the Super Bowl so that they decide to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback moving forward. As a Seahawks fan, nothing would be better than having their top draft pick that they traded three first rounds for sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for like $40 million a year. So I am, I am rooting for the Niners. I also think they're going to win, but I think they, I think they get housed in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they uh, might already be there with Garoppolo. I mean, they're in the NFC Championship they might game. Be. They might already have made. Yeah, I don't know. That's going to hey, be another thing. I mean, watch. any any time you can win a playoff game with six offensive points and like 140 passing yards, you got to invest in that for the future at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, we should probably get out of here. Shield, thank you so much for coming in. Of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, like I said, we've been looking forward to this all season. You want to tell the people where they can get more of you? Yeah, sure. You can um, uh, subscribe to The Athletic. I think if you use our podcast promo code, theathletic.com slash birds with friends, you get a discount. If you're uh, looking to check it out, there will be a seven-day trial there. And uh, I just have a page, Shield Capadia, where all my articles are, where they have an NFL section there as well. And then I'm on Twitter uh, at Shield Capadia as well. You know, if you only read one article – by Sheil, make it the things you should look for in a new head coach. That is maybe my favorite NFL article I read all year. All his stuff is great, but that one in particular, it's timely, and um, it it really does illuminate what makes certain coaches successful and what <laughs> makes so many of them fail. But uh, man, I'm I'm telling you this. This was just awesome. We're so stoked to have you on. Thank you again for coming on. And for those of you listening, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss any episodes like this one. And feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. Remember, that's J-A-C-S-O-N. No K is okay. Mike is at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. And of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And I know I say it almost every time, but y'all have been incredible with your support. We are eternally grateful for that. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Oh!